morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. I'll be reading the scripture for us this morning, which comes from select verses in Psalm 119. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. In the way of your testimonies I delight, as much as in all riches. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. This is the word of God, and at this time, let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word. Indeed, that is God's word. Thanks be to God. Continue to go through this psalm series and say from the outset, probably come to the masterpiece of all the psalms, of 150 psalms. It actually occupies a centerpiece uh, location as well. If you just plop open physical Bibles, if you remember what that looks like, you know, to like a book, and you just go kind of to the middle, it should locate you at or close to Psalm 119. This is a majestic psalm. And today we look at how the psalmist declares with all of his being, how I love your law. How I love your law, O God. Uh, this is an extended poem of 22 stanzas of, with eight verses each. 22 stanzas, each stanza, which we're gonna, you're just going to have to trust me for now. The poet carefully chooses the first word of each stanza to begin with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet from the Aleph to the Tav, which is their A to Z, in order. So this is an alphabetic acrostic. Ask three questions of this as we open up this psalm. What does this mean? Who does this and why? Okay, the poet crafts an alphabetic acrostic, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order, and eight verses compose each stanza. What does it mean? Who does this and why? For starters, okay, well, what it means. Well, obviously, to uh, compose an alphabetic acrostic uh, requires some focused attention there, an employment of language and learning, uh, vocabulary, different expressions, certainly your culture, even personality, and local context. 
So again, what is the psalmist or the poet communicating by this? Well, the immensity, the range to the word of God calls for it. Notice uh, he uses different words for scripture or for the Bible or for the law. He says testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments. Different kinds of words, maybe to demonstrate distinctions or dazzling angles, maybe to the most priceless diamond you would ever behold. You want to look at it. You, you just can't help but stare at it. You want to appreciate and take in its beauty from all different perspectives. What does this mean? Why does he craft an alphabetic acrostic? Well, the variety and richness to the word of God. The, the variety and richness sorry, to his poetry is an attempt to mirror the variety and the richness of God's word. What he is communicating is, I will marshal, put almost everything I have in my powers together here so that it would be an attempt in poetic form to just reflect, appropriately reflect or respond to the richness of God's word. Look at verse 96. Verse 96. I have seen a limit to all perfection. In all the world, the entire cosmos, as we are discovering more and more. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. The commandments of God, the word of God, the statutes, the testimonies, the precepts, the laws of God are never narrowing. Smash that stereotype. They're not limiting they are expansive. They're exceedingly broad. They give you more runway. They give you more options. They actually enhance your freedoms. What does it mean? The variety, immensity, and richness to the Word of God. And the only maybe response to it is to use everything that you have and then still, it's not enough. John Calvin, again, that great theologian, gave the analogy that when God communicates to human creation, to his own creatures, it's like baby talk. You know, he has to slow down. Use very simple, clear words. Maybe repeat those words. Can you imagine the author of all intelligence, all language, finding a way to communicate in ways that you and I would understand, not be blown away by, just crushed, but be able to digest and comprehend what God is trying to communicate? Calvin says, like, baby talk. Vice versa, right? Pastor Daniel Penn in the opening call to worship read from Revelation, Revelation, a glimpse into the eternal future where a multitude will be gathered and we'll be all praising in a chorus forever and ever and ever and ever that salvation and honor and glory belong to God. And that multitude is going to be far bigger than what we might imagine now. Well, I would also submit to you, vice versa, human language and descriptions of heaven, heaven, 
how bright and glorious. There will be no need for the sun. There will be a light that never goes out. The most blissful, radiant, glorious place. Reigning with righteousness and peace forevermore. Human descriptions may fall short to convey how much greater the reality of heaven is going to be. Likewise, hell. Hell, a a literal, physical, ongoing place called hell that Jesus himself spoke often about. Human language and descriptions can only go so far. I submit where hell is going to be far more awful and dreadful than we might be able to communicate at this point. Oh, how I love your law. I'm going to craft an alphabetic acrostic to it because it is so immense and rich. There is multidimensional beauties that dazzle me about it. Yeah, that's why the Word of God contained in the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. But also, it belongs in a category unto itself for all of time. That's what it means. Second, who does this? All right, who writes like this? Who takes the time to craft a poem like this, let alone about the laws of God? Look at verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. When and how are you occupied all the day? Why would you meditate and think about the same thing all the day? When is the last time you wrote a poem? When's the last time you wrote an acrostic? Maybe for the gal or the guy you love, you take each letter or the name of that one you love and you spell out different characteristics or features. Who does this? Who does this? It's plain, isn't it? Someone in love. Who writes poetry like this? Someone madly in love. 176 verses long. It's the longest psalm. What else gets your creative juices flowing, makes you all of a sudden enormously studious, makes your attention deficit disorder disappear, it makes you want to expand your vocabulary and choice of words. You all of a sudden become an artist. You're expressive, passionate. You prepare. And you put all of that into producing something special for someone you love. I remember with my wife, Sunny, before we were married, I was in Virginia. She was in Miami, Florida. We're calling one another on the phone every night for about two weeks. Some of those phone calls went to 5 a.m. Oh, Sunny back then listened all the way through, laughed at everything I could say. Of course, nowadays, more often than not, she says, Harold, please stop talking. Just please stop talking. You know, in the middle of last night even, I woke up in the middle of the night, I was excited for today, and I looked at her, and she was dead asleep with her head tilted with her mouth kind of half open. And I gave a brief prayer to God. I said, God, thank you. My wife is no more lovely than when she's sleeping. 
She's so lovely when she is sleeping. I don't know why that is the case. But look at this. This poet. This psalm. Who writes like this? When do you become all of a sudden so verbose and you spend a lot of time? You're in love. All right, what does it mean? The richness and variety to the word of God calls for it. Who does it? Someone in love. Last one. Why? Why does he do this? What is he after? Why is he driven in this in this way, well, a word you just cannot escape throughout the Psalter, all of the Psalms is blessedness, blessedness, blessedness. Or shalom, the recent sermon series we just went through. Third John verse 2, it says, I pray it goes well with you, your whole body, your well-being. I pray it would go well with you in all areas of life as it would go well with your soul. A wholeness. We want your well-being in all around aspects. Well, that's what this psalmist is after. And if you remember Pastor Jimmy's sermon on Psalm 1, which opens up all 150 psalms, verse 2 reads, And his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's describing the category of the blessed. There are blessed people in the world, and then there are, quite frankly, wicked people in the world. It's a stark contrast. That's how Psalm opens up. It's like the front door to this book. Welcome, there are two paths to life. Blessed and those who are wicked and perishing. Blessed will flourish forever and ever and ever. The wicked will perish. Well, verse 2 describes what blessed people do. Like how they occupy their time, what they're about. You know, what they're, what's on their minds most often. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Well, Psalm 119 is just a vivid illustration, expansion of Psalm 1, verse 2. Psalm 119 is doing and exhibiting Psalm 1, verse 2. Here is a man madly in love with God and his laws, and his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he is just expanding his meditation all day and all night for us. What's the content of the blessed life, the Torah, the Torah, or the laws of God. Torah is mentioned 25 times in Psalm 119. Torah, or similar or related words to Torah, occur, occur in 174 of the 176 verses of Psalm 119. So the usual suspect, the usual person, the usual kind of lifestyle that is showered with blessedness and experiences blessedness of God is one who pours over and delights into the law of God day and night. It is a person who looks harder, longer, and deeper and wider at the laws of God so that that person can obey and keep it better. Who are the blessed folks in this room? Who are the blessed folks throughout human history? Who are the blessed folks into eternity? It's not like random chance, guys. It's not like the California lotto. It's not just blind, dumb luck. There is a rhyme or reason to it. There's a lifestyle to it. Blessedness is not arbitrary. It usually comes 
to those whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, this kind of blessedness, this kind of shalom, is much more than that academic stimulation you might get as the Bible is English literature class, which I happen to take once. Fascinating. Absolutely. The Bible translated into English stands on its own as a work of art. This blessedness is more than a religious instinct or ideal or even an emotional high, like a mountaintop retreat type of experience. Do you know for the psalmist, what he's really after is this blessedness, blessedness, blessedness? That blessedness is intensely personal. That blessedness is a person. If you read Psalm 119, you will see all these usages of personal pronouns. I, my, to me. And then speaking to God, oh, speaking of God, you and your and yours. The word of God is living and active and breathing. There's no outage or shortage of power to the word of God. Ever. Ever. It's not my job to convince you and have your heart leap at its power and its immensity. That's God's job. But the word of God has it all inherent within it. Because the author of this book happens to be also the author of all of life. In and through the word of God. Okay, listen. When you hear someone preach it. When you read it. When you think about it. When you see it. When you recall it. When you sing it. When you pray it. In and through the word of God. Make no mistake. That is primarily the best way in which you get to meet the one. The author of all of life who is both infinite and intimate. The author and maker of all of life. The judge of the beginning and the end. The timeless one. Who is omnipotent and personal. In a lot of cultures and a lot of generations, God may remain far too removed. He's too transcendent. He's great. He's all powerful. So of course a God like that would have nothing to do with us. And then there's other generations and cultures that come along where God becomes fashioned into someone who is all too chummy and close and personal, where God is too much like us. You know, a question that I would ask of you and a question that from time to time I do ask of myself with much sobriety is this. How can you know God has been revealed and not imagined? How can you know today that you have a God that you haven't made up, but a God that is actually as he is? Hmm? How do you know you worship and follow and obey and think? Like your conception of God is not something you wanted to come up with, but it's actually who God is and he revealed himself that way. He showed you and spoke to you. This is who I am. All religions will tilt they're polarizing. They're just extreme. They'll give you one or the other. 
either too transcendent, too removed, or just too personal, too close. Revelation, where God actually shows himself to you and speaks to you, will give you both. And it might put you in tension. That might be the best way to put it. Hold you and put you in a tension. <laughs> Look at verse 71. Give you examples of what this would mean. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. So as personal and intimate and gentle and loving and inclusive and accepting and approachable and as, quite frankly, individualistically American as this God may be to you, can that God also be someone you worship and praise for afflicting you? As personal and intimate as your God may be, does your God also have the sovereign wisdom and power to send affliction your way so that you can learn? I mean, wow, really? God could actually allow hurt and pain and suffering so that you might be disciplined? Not punished if you're a child of God, but in the utmost love, disciplined, checked, Corrected, redirected. Does your God ever correct you? When's the last time you can describe how God corrected you? How and why would God correct you? What about your attitude? What about your speech? What about your thoughts? What about your occupations? How has God, this personal, personal, personal God to you, ever been greater than you? That's the tension. There's a God who is revealed, and then there's a God you want. Look at verse 176. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Oh, Eastern Orthodox churches. A lot of more ancient cultures. Oh, you just travel the world. You're going to see religious architecture, structures, customs, Dress, tone, style that communicate loud and clear. This God is way too great for you. Don't mess around. And as holy, 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 and as transcendent as God is, does that same God actually come after you when you completely mess it up? As great as God is, is that God also so gracious to you that when you are forgetful, most unholy, most wretched, mute, and blind, and you have gone astray intentionally, habitually, he would come after you? Do you have a God that would seek to restore you? Oh, attention. You see, the word of God is both perfect and personal, infinite and intimate, because that's who God is. And it creates, he, God, through his word, creates a people, a group of followers and worshipers who just don't fit into most categories of the world. How can you? 
for Christian people, Christian people, if you read the scriptures and you're shaped more by a God who reveals himself to you more than you're trying to shape him into your own image according to culture or partisan politics or this group or that group or that upbringing that you were with. You know, I think the scriptures explain for all Christian people, you ought to be all out, all out for the health and the well-being and the equality of all women. Period. We've done a pretty bad job as an evangelical church about this. Evangelical Christians should be at the forefront, like known about that first. Like proactively, we're going to make sure that, especially if you're poor, if you're poor, that the scriptures, the God of the Bible calls the church first and foremost to care and to support for the full worth and equality of women. And at the same time, the same Bible from the same God calls for you to care for God's image bearers in the womb. And if you really care and you post yourself as being for both, it might be a lonely place. It might be tension-filled. It might not make much sense. But it might be because you have a God who reveals himself to you. Oh, Orthodox Christians, Orthodox Christians, you have your doctrine right, you've got your theology right, you want to do the Bible and church right, you want to raise your families right. Do you know the part of Orthodox Christians that may be missing is Orthodox Christians always stand out too. You are called to be in the world, not of. You are called to be salty, salty, not boring, bland, blend in. You are called to be light into darkness. Light illuminates, exposes, like the cockroaches run away when light appears. People don't feel comfortable around light sometimes. And the light also illuminates and heals and makes the darkness dissipate. Christian people, Christian people, you, me, if you're more shaped by the word of God, you're not, you're the last piece who says, oh, I'm okay with the status quo. Oh, I have no resistance. Everything's fine. That, it just cannot be this way. Because Christians are not conforming. They're being transformed and they are transforming likewise. As God himself is continually transforming his people. What does this mean in an alphabetic acrostic? Who does it and why? I'll give you a summary answer. Might be the answer for all three. I know I answered them different ways. But it's just someone in love. Someone in love. Can I just close with this? If you fall in love, you gain new senses. Right? It's like new eyes, a new heart, a new brain, new taste buds. Here's three. New senses of love. First, sustenance. Sustenance. Coming out of the pandemic, barely. What kind of tensions and turmoils and baggage that has brought upon our lives, especially for the church as well. But can I ask you, what have you found most formative and sustaining for you? <clears throat> See, what's carried you? What's your go-to? What's taken up the most space and time? Look at verse 14. 
according to the psalmist, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. <laughs> Listen, you guys, we got to stop. We got to stop um, trying to immunize ourselves and, you know, just really kind of just downplay the scriptures. I asked you, look, is the psalmist bluffing? Is he exaggerating? Is this reality? And if this is reality, what's wrong with me? It's one or the other. In the way of your testimonies, as much as in all riches, really? All the wealth? All the savings? All the possessions? He finds this sustaining. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. At all times. Consumed with longing Desire, missing, attracted to, delight in the law, statutes, testimonies, precepts, words of God at all times. Now, if you are a child of God, if you have authentic spiritual life, if God is your father, Jesus is your savior, Jesus is your older brother, Holy Spirit lives in you. You're not just going through the motions here today in front of your family or your spouse or your friends. Like you're really a child of God. Like Jesus is going to turn around and say, I know you. I love you. I've loved you for forever. I'm never going to stop loving you. And I know you love me. You belong with me. If that is you, listen close. Every child of God cannot help but live by the word of God. In other words, you are not sustained by anything else but by the Word of God. You cannot get by. You cannot live without the Word of God. If you are a child of God, there is no way you can go for a year on a diet of business, money, career, fame, parenting, family, romance, security, your reputation, possessions, gossip, Hollywood, entertainment, sports, recreation, and that's all you get for an entire year, and you feel like you're fine. That's just not possible, like, according to the scriptures that I read. Every child of God, every believer, is fundamentally most deeply nourished and sustained by the word of God. You find yourself starving without it. There is nothing more formative and nourishing than the word of God, at least for in the long run. Uh, Scott Sauls, popular author, blogger, pastor, I think he's the real deal in person, was on a podcast. He was interviewed um, about Dr. Timothy Keller, once again, who's fighting through cancer, stage four. And Scott Sauls was speaking that he had asked Keller Recently, how are you doing? And Dr. Keller says, I've never been happier. I've never been happier than going through stage four cancer. And Scott Sauls went on with this observation. He says, here's a man who's been reading through the Bible every year and who prays three psalms a day. Here's a man who has formed and forged and been sustained over many, 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 many years and it's not random, blind chance he ends up like this in one of the greatest sufferings or crises toward the end of his life. Oh, my dear friends. 
this summer or any summer, any time is good to begin. Pray and read through slowly one psalm a day. Pray and read through slowly one psalm a day. Because when you find sustenance through the word of God, as you sustain yourself in the word of God, there is nothing better that will sustain you. There's no substitute. There's no other anchor, no other refuge, no other foundation that will hold up. Sustenance. Here's second. When you fall in love, you'll taste its sweetness. You'll not only find it so sustaining, you're going to now find it sweet. Nine times God's instructions are the object of his delight. Nine times in Psalm 119, the object of his love. In verse 28, the psalmist says, In my sorrows, when I was melting down in sadness, you strengthened me. You strengthened me. Randomly at the World Championships on YouTube, I came across it this week. Sydney McLaughlin, an American, competing in the 400-meter hurdles. She didn't just win. She obliterated the competition, set a whole new world record. At the end of the race, you can go look it up. She's not even breathing hard. You can see the second-place finish from the Netherlands, heaving and panting, congratulating. But it looks like Sydney didn't even run. Post-match interview. She gives all glory to God, and she says, Hebrews 4.16 had been on her mind. Hebrews 4.16 has been on her mind. Approach the throne of grace with confidence so that you might find mercy and grace in a time of need. I mean, certainly am I saying, oh, if you memorize Bible verses, you're going to win races, you're going to win everything in life? Absolutely not. But that's how effective and powerful and personal the word of God can be. Look at verses 49 to 50 here. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Why does the psalmist find the words of God so sweet? When you are afflicted. When you're going through heartbreak. When you're going through an overwhelming crushing season of life. There is such a comfort there in the word of God because God comes there through his word to comfort you. There have been comforts and touches and balms and soothing medicines, drying of my tears, that all the world cannot mimic than when I meet with the living God who comforts me. Look at verse 98 and 99. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies and my meditation. Wiser, wiser. This is not book smarts. This is not just school smarts. This is not just degrees. Wisdom, the ability to do that which is best and that which what, what God would want you to do in scenarios in which where God's word may be unclear. That kind of wisdom actually comes from a love in the word of God. 
Look at verse 105, 105. Some of you may grow up in the church or vacation Bible study, um, uh, Bible school. You might have heard this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Clarity. Illuminating. Direction. You can be more decisive. You can be a little bit more clear. You can actually take a step of courage forward. Why? Because... You know you have the word of God and he's giving you this kind of pretty vast runway. And within that runway, you know you're good. We get verses 103 and 104. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. So, friends, this morning. Is it sweet? Come on. Reckon. Be frank with yourself. Is it sweet? Does it taste like ice cream? Does it thrill you when you purchase that item? Does it feel like when you've fallen in love? Does it dazzle you, fulfill you? Are there new senses about you where this is way beyond theory, lecture, study? Someone's talking. But sweet, sweet. Now, if it's not sweet to you, it hasn't been sweet to you for a long time. You might be going through what I would call now as a spiritual COVID. Spiritual COVID. You lost your taste bud. You lost your senses. There is a road to recovery for that. Absolutely. God still loves you. You can come back. You got to go through with discipline. Even while it's not sweet. But I say for some of you, it may not be spiritual COVID. It may not be a momentary lapse. It's not just a seasonal thing. Let me ask you. Has the word of God contained in the Bible ever tasted sweet to you? Has it ever thrilled you? Has it ever made your heart leap? And if that not be the case, you might be spiritually dead. You've been dead and you're going through death. You look alive on the outside, but you do not know God. Stay with me. For this God of the Bible writes and speaks to you now to bring you out of death sweetness oh such sweetness and if you read more of the psalms you're never going to get this sense oh you know become a christian person this religious person i become like a psalmist it's so obvious they all destroyed their identities they got rid of their personalities they lost their joys they're less free they're less happy again i i don't know what book you're reading how how does this does this sound like that this psalmist Lost his dignity? Lost his self-worth? Lost his happiness? No. He says, no, oh Lord, your laws actually help me to gain them. Most of all, this psalmist did not lose out one whit when it comes to love. Listen to me close. The psalmist, he doesn't lose at all when it comes to love. Because when you are loved by someone so much greater, so much truer, more everlasting than any other lover you could ever find, and you are so beloved by him, 
Now you gain a new love. Your whole life is all about love. Now you love being told what to do by him. The psalmist never loses out on love. He is so beloved by an infinite, perfect, yet personal, gracious God. He now has new loves. And those new loves is, oh Lord, how I love your law. Third. Third sense. Maybe the one that's most crucial. It'll unlock everything. Salvific. Salvific. Verses 174 and 175. Toward the end here. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. I mean, evidently, this psalmist is almost concluding this majestic poem with your laws make me live. Like, my life depends on it. It actually breathes new life in me. My soul wouldn't be living at all apart from your laws. And it fills me with praise. And your rules, you know those rules, those rigorous, hard external rules, I find them totally beneficial. Completely helpful. Constructively liberating. Joy enhancing. Life lengthening. Blessedness expanding. Uh, you, you do know, by the way, can you name one law, one command, one statute, one precept, one word of God that if you actually followed and obey would be harmful for you? Have you found one ever? Have you in your life experience? Can you honestly come to a hey, pastor? You know what? I actually carried out the commandment from Exodus and I really tried it out and I really lived it out. And you know what? At the end of the day, I actually find it unfulfilling. No, I've never heard that. He says, all your rules are not only inherently pure and truthful, they're beneficial. They're not only sweet, but they save me. God, you save me. Your laws are there to save me. They're to save me from the wreckage. You know, the Psalms aren't just a manual, are they? They're messianic. The Psalms aren't just about giving you laws. The Psalms are ultimately to give you life. Because if you remember again, Psalm 1, the blessed and the wicked, the blessed and the perishing. And if you read the Psalms and you read the Bible together, which you all always should. That's an interpretative skill of any book. Read the whole context so that you can find out what this one passage might really mean. And here's what you're going to see so clearly. The most blessed one, Jesus Christ himself, took the place of the perishing. He became perishing because he took the place of the wicked. So that those who break his laws, those who are wicked, who are ended up, deserve to be perishing. Can share in the status and the destiny of the most righteous blessed one, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone came to trade places. The most blessed one, the law keeper. The one who delights, the one who meditates, the one who obeys day and night. He took your place so that you might share in and take his place. And experience blessedness forevermore with him.
Now, when that unlocks, when the Jesus of the Psalms comes and gives you new senses to appreciate what he came to do for you, there is nothing else, no power, no force, no guilt tripping, no lecture. There's no reminders in the world that will ever come close to a new sensation where you find in the laws and the very word of God salvation for your souls, salvation that will love you to the point of death. Oh, my friends. Every pastor will tell you, it may sound like a repeat, read the Bible more, study the Bible more, memorize it more. You got to be people of the word. But every pastor, there's one thing we cannot do for you. We can't show you for you how sweet it is. We can't manufacture how salvific it is. We can't do for you how sustaining it is for you. But when you do, and this author of the book and the author of all life comes and meets you, my friends, look at, listen loud and clear. When this God of the Bible comes and meets with me and speaks to me, it's better than all the riches. It's sweeter than honey. It's sweeter than sin. It's sweeter than anything the world can offer. You can try to go on, just power this out, grind it out, be religious, be a good person, try to obey the Bible, be a good mom, be a good brother without any love for God. A lot of people are still doing that. You come to church, but you don't really love God. Okay, you do it for your kids, great. You do it for your spouse, great. That's good, that's better than anything. But you can try to do all this stuff without any love for God. It's gonna be really hard. But one thing you cannot do is fall in love with God and not come under his laws. The one thing Jesus will not allow you to do when he becomes your savior, when he loves you so, is to fall in love with God and not come under new senses and new laws. Have you come under? Just come under. There's no better lover, no better laws, no better savior. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this psalm. God, we thank you not only for the prayer, the poem, but Lord, most of all, we thank you for the one it points to. Jesus, by the movement of your Holy Spirit, even now, would you stir new senses, new life for any and all my friends here gathered today so that we might find in your very laws sustenance, sweetness, and how great and gracious is the salvation Jesus came to bring. Hear us, O oh Lord, we pray for we pray this all together in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>